Carlos Sainz takes his first pole and first win in Formula One at Silverstone of all places. Joe Guanyu walks away from a phenomenal crash. So does Alex Albon and Lewis Hamilton returns to the podium for his home Grand Prix. G'day there. My name is James Baldwin and welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drive's F1 podcast. In this episode, we review the British Grand Prix. I'm joined by my friend and yours, it's Freya Brolsman. G'day, mate. Hello, how are you going? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, it's uh, It was the best race of the season, I'm just going to say that, because it absolutely was. Maybe not for a, from a DR point of view, but from a fan point of view, I just don't think we've had anything better, do you? I thought it was the most interesting race we've had all season. You know, there were battles from start to finish, you know, we really saw the best of the 2022 cars when you saw those sustained overtakes. Um, We saw strategy questions. uh, We saw mechanics at their best. Um, Absolutely amazing work by Alpine bringing Ocon back to the race. So, yep, I'm putting it up there as a best race so far. Yeah, it was, uh, look, there's plenty to talk about. And to do that in this episode, we have a very special guest, Richard Saxby from McLaren Applied joins us again. But before we get into talking about that, two things that we need to do, the National Anthem Review, and I can say a flyover review as well because it bloody happened this time. It's red, arrow, red arrows out of 10 for me. Fantastic job to the RAF for actually doing it. Uh, and how good was the anthem? I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was electric guitar plus rock plus all of this guy's energy for the Queen. I thought it was great. No, I really enjoyed it. It brought a bit of an edge to it, I suppose, what can be quite a stiff uh, anthem. And this just completely loosened it up. I was, I was absolutely here for it. Loved it. Well, let's get into everyone's favourite part of the podcast. It's Tommy T's television broadcast review. Yeah, thanks, James. Um, it was always going to be a bit of a struggle, this one, wasn't it, with the British being very British as they always are. Um, I think the thing that summed that up the most for me was the piano intro, including the three Brits talking about Britain. It was just way over the top, way too emotional for what is the start of a, a sporting event. It's just completely unnecessary. Um, you could tell it was important because laser himself had dressed up and wasn't recycling the same blue shirt that he wears every bloody race weekend um yeah that guy has one one outfit and he's been rocking it for the last couple of years um what else have we got oh i don't really want to step on it but that anthem you're doing way too much (laughs) i was expecting to see something like that in america maybe but yeah it is what it is we did get a flyover, which is great, and I'll let you guys talk about that, obviously, because that was outstanding to see for once. Um, I did really respect that the TV director didn't uh, show anything until we were sure that uh, Joe and Albon were okay, which is exactly what we want and what the drivers have requested in the past as well, so that's really good too. <laughs> I did want to note, though, once we knew that was fine, it was okay to laugh at how George Russell runs. That guy <laughs> looks like he's jumping on a trampoline or... I don't know, he's he's like a very uncoordinated deer and uh, he needs to sort that out because it looks ridiculous, does not look athletic compared to what he actually is. Uh, and I think finally we need to thank either Ocon or Ferrari for that safety car and then the poor management of 
how to run that safety car. I think that just led to an outstanding race and I'm sure you guys are going to have a ripping race for you. Well, that's our favourite part of the podcast done and dusted. But for a better part of the podcast, we are joined by friend of the show. He's from McLaren Applied and many, many other Formula One related things. But more, most recently, as a spectator at Silverstone, it's Richard Saxby. G'day, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? Hi, Freya. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really, really great to have you here. Uh, and look, the best race of the season, wasn't it? Uh, absolute carnage right in front of your eyes. Luckily, it was, uh, well, he walked away from it, both he and Alex Albon, which is very, very good. Uh, but we had wheel-to-wheel racing all the way to the very end of the race. And uh, if I hear one more person say that old people can't drive, I will direct them to Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton in the closing stages of that race. But uh Mate, uh, what I'd love for you to do is just take us through your experience at Silverstone for the overall experience uh, of your weekend. Yeah, and uh, thanks, thanks. Uh, yeah, and I had a great time this this weekend uh, as a as a punter, you know, as as someone who just sort of <laughs> wanders around, uh, wanders around the uh, the site. Um, uh, like you say, I had a great I had a great grandstand. Um, I was fortunate enough to. Um, <clears throat> be uh, at the end of end of the main straight so right on farm curve where uh, where joe had his accident but i could see right up the uh, right up to the to you know to the last corner and obviously the start finish straight so it's uh, it's a really good perspective and of course you get the, the the perspective of people coming out the pits as well at the same time so when there was this whole you know um um mercedes stop um you know, to try and beat the Ferraris out. Obviously, you could see it was never going to happen, but uh, it was still, uh, you know... And, and it also, of course, listening to the crowds on the other side of the circuit, in the last 10 laps when there was some sort of, you know, position swapping, you could hear something was going on on the other side of the circuit because it all of a sudden just raged, raged with... with you know, that was in Vale, I think. It was in Vale they, they did the pass. And he was passing around the outside, but this huge roar from the crowd from the other side of the circuit um, uh, you could sense that something was going on, and of course, then you you flick to the screen, the big screen that was up there, and you could see why that they were roaring. So, yeah, it was great. And I, I think I even sort of you know exited my seat um, and I had a good wander around the circuit and seen these fans, and and they're just such wonderful people, and it's such a wonderful vibe. And you know, we talk about Miami and we talk about Vegas and. You know, there are certain people that want Silverstone to be something like that. But to be honest, this has got its own thing going on, you know. Silverstone has its own thing. And I've never, ever seen it so busy in my entire my entire career. It's interesting. You, you mentioned, obviously, your entire career, which is substantial in, yeah. in Formula One, and you've been there um, through some of the, the massive kind of accidents that we have seen um, over the years. Mm. Um, what do you think? What are your thoughts when it comes to to safety? And obviously, we were reminded of it this weekend, and that crash was right in front of you. I'm pretty sure there's an amazing story yeah. there as well. But how much pushback was there from the paddock with with developments like the halo? And how do we tread the line between whether that's regulations and car development, both of them considered um, the tread the line between driver safety and continuously increasing safety for the sport? But then also, I suppose what you could describe as kind of 
racing freedom, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, look, there's there's always that gladiatorial editor, uh, yeah, element with our with how we view sport, right? And which is why I don't think things like robo race might not be, you know, the, the way forward because it is all about the human element. Sort of, I mean, we are we are we are naturally sort of gladiators. We we relish in watching, well, sometimes unfortunate crashes, but. Um, it's 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 all about the excitement and the closeness. But in terms of Formula One and its safety, mm. and Formula Two for that matter, because it happened again, it happened this weekend with Formula Two. Yeah, and right the way through all the formulas that were racing, they have this halo, and I think it's mutually adopted. And I, I, do you know what I I do remember? I mean, I I I was fortunate enough to assist in the development of the halo, and I was there when it's it was being conceived and you know, um, being sort of compared with the the, the aero screen and, and all the other stuff. Um, and I remember seeing visual images from the FIA showing them firing this wheel out of a cannon onto the halo and uh, seeing how well it fared, you know. So actually when you do see images and videos like that, I think you become you become a little bit more human about this whole this whole sport and this, mm. we are making rocket ships. We are in, we are in these factories making absolute rocket ships. And yes, the weight is going up on these cars, but that's because the safety enhancements are getting bigger, stiffer, wider, stronger, heavier. And um, the, there's, there's a fine balance. And over the years, you know, things like the halo have, have added a lot of weight to the car and you know, nine kilos to the car and impact structures, front, rear, these massive xylon panels that are stuck on the side of the chassis, which are almost half an inch thick, these, you know, bulletproof sort of panelling around the safety cell. Or safety cell. Um, and all of this, of course, was pioneered by Sir Jackie Stewart uh, back in the day, I think, you know, amongst others, Professor Sid Watkins and all these amazing people that uh, brought this up. But, you know, there, there is the... Um, there is the human element to it. And I think most people in teams, just going back to your original question, did we adopt it? Most people in teams would never want anything on their on their conscience about working for a team that maybe, you know, unfortunately had a, a, a you know, quite a serious accident with a driver. It's, it's, it's a horrible feeling to be stood in a, in a, um, in a, uh, uh, a debrief listening to you know how the driver is in hospital or whether or not he's made it through or whatever anything like that's a horrible horrible feeling and and i think we adopted it quite quickly because most of us are in that in that category we spoke a couple of months ago now it's a great interview if you listener if you haven't heard it yet do go back and find that you can find the link in the description below but we've now had 10 rounds of racing this new generation of formula 1 car what was it like being trackside for the first time to see this in action as a punter? And over the course of the race, did you was was your sort of gut feeling that yes, absolutely, the racing is so much better than what we've seen these last ten years? Well, yeah, I do actually. I think it's definitely a lot closer, um, and it's it's easier to it's much easier to follow. Um, and certainly, the last ten laps were that, you know, sort of, you know, um, solidified that rhetoric. Because I think, okay, it's, it's difficult at the first stages of the race when people are on different sets of tyres, people are obviously running different 
upgrades, people are, you know, the gaps between the cars are gaps between the cars. And But the last 10 laps, almost like a sprint race, it does show you how quickly they can follow. And that those last 10 laps were super, super exciting for me. And that that uh, secured my um, my feeling that I think we've come up with something pretty good. Um, for me, the noise is just a little <laughs> bit quiet, you know, especially when you've got the FTs, which are louder than mm. the, the Porsche Carrera <laughs> Cups, which are louder than the F1 cars. And I'm just yeah. thinking, well, you know, gonna, you know, well, look, let's just get over that. And you get used to that. Um, but coming into turn one, farm curve and seeing how planted the cars really are um they are literally on 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 rails uh is so exciting and and they are really close to each other closer than i've ever seen before in terms of following um you know and and making moves without drs uh which we saw a few few uh a few times this this uh this weekend which was great again you know making moves without drs i'm sure We'd all like to not have the DRS effect in some way, shape, or form, unless you're following a certain driver. But um, that's great. It was really close, and I think I honestly think the FIA and the, the guys of uh, at, um, and some of the aero uh, consultants uh, from the teams have done a, have done a great job actually. And this is the first this is the first season of it, so we got more to come. I'm sure. Speaking of more to come, uh, I think in your interview with. Campy and James, you mentioned that um, there were a few different directions that Mercedes could possibly go in um, in terms of the development of the 2022 car. Based on what we saw this weekend, do you think they've probably honed in on um, what was making them slow or are they still too far behind to be a contender? What are your thoughts on the different possibilities that they had in front of them and the decisions that they're making? Yeah, well, they they brought six quite massive upgrades to this race and I think the reason why I think eight out of ten teams brought upgrades to this race and I think the reason why they brought these upgrades is because Silverstone's a great leveler okay and <clears throat> excuse the pun it is super smooth you know that the circuit is super smooth <laughs> it's got high speed corners it's got low speed corners um you know it's a great place to bring your upgrades and of course upgrades are now few and far between because of the cost cap with the bigger teams so Mercedes saw this as a real benefit and I don't think they're going to they're going to fix everything at Silverstone but what they did what they did bring along was to try and um, broaden their understanding of what might be happening uh, and use this event as the baseline to move forward with some of their upgrades and you know let's see which ones work let's see which ones don't but um, Listening to, to Paddock talk, I still don't think they've got on top of their issues. I think they 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 have said that, um, you know, one lap, it could be great. One lap, it could be terrible. And and nothing's changed in between. So, you know, they, they're still struggling with, with where this thing's switching on and switching off, you know, certainly the porpoising. Um, but they brought front suspension upgrades uh, to try and smooth the airflow down uh, onto the side pods. Um they brought underfloor mods. The bib was changed. Uh, the, the the floor, you know, rear wing trims, so on and so forth. So they they brought a, a, an extraordinarily amount of. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of them are actually all um, are all listed uh, by the FIA. But it's one of the biggest one of the biggest ones I've seen for a while. Um, so front suspension, yeah. Um, they've just sort of uh, added some 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 volume to the. Uh, 
to the push rod and the front top wishbone um, with you know with these these fairings and fillets, uh, side pod inlets, um, floor wedge angles, uh, rear wings, so reprofiled wing tips, uh, a realigned bib which I mentioned, and um, lots of um, local load or stiffness performances to the floor. Um, so it, it's um, quite an extensive uh, package, and and of course if you change all of them at once you know you i guess it's you struggle to see which ones worked or which ones haven't so i think this is a nice baseline for silverstone and i think they were right to bring as many as they possibly can and and correlate them here and then you know see which ones they need to run moving forward so yeah but it is a smooth circuit and, and that's why eight out of ten teams i think upgraded for this circuit um but they i'm certainly they'll get it and they certainly made gains in lap time, mm. but so did everyone else, I think. Um, or they, they at least closed the gap, maybe a tenth. But Ferrari, you know, again, bringing the upgrades they brought and Red Bull, again, huge upgrades um, to, uh, to, to this track with a whole rear, rear engine cover that was so much tighter at the rear end to expose the rear wing. So I think they've made... Gains in lap time, for sure, um, but whether or not they've solved their problems or whether or not they've closed the gap to Red Bull is, is, is still yet to be seen. We weren't even halfway through the season before this race, and the last time we spoke, Richard, was after the Australian Grand Prix where Ferrari looked the goods. Red Bull had all kinds of reliability issues, and boy, oh boy, does Formula One turn around very quickly. Uh, Max Verstappen himself even said that, it felt like he was losing his grip on what would be a consecutive World Drivers' Championship because Charles Leclerc was so fast. And then, of course, in subsequent races, we saw the inverse of that and then Ferrari power unit issues across customer and the factory team as well. It's one of those things, isn't it, that it's hard to, it's really hard to pick, especially at this point, where we think the season is going. And if what you say is correct in terms of Mercedes pulling it together a little bit as well, it's not too far out of the imagination to see either George Russell or Lewis Hamilton to be a championship contender if Rebel Racing and Ferrari continue to have issues. We saw it with Max Verstappen's car this weekend, just how one going over a sausage curb can potentially damage the floor, which significantly damages the aero for the car and really slows it down. Um, Unfortunately, not slowing down enough for Mick Schumacher to get past, but uh, certainly from a the very front of the grid point of view, it's interesting to yeah. see how it is. Let's talk a little bit about qualifying now, shall we? Because you were there. You were dry for about five minutes beforehand and then you got probably absolutely soaked. Uh, how, how, what goes through the, the minds of the teams? Of course, we know that there's weather radar set up there to, uh, to see what's coming in. Were they predicting that or was it a bit of a surprise and having to strap the inters and the wets on instead of the slicks, maybe throwing some people out? No, I think you can see from the sort of, what ended up being a fairly normal grid, um, you know, as we've seen most of the season, Mm. with the exception of Williams, right? With the exception of Williams, because they they did a sterling job, but, um, and Latifi did a great job. But I I, I think, um, I think it was sort of normal business. They they knew exactly, they've got, they've got full radar um, uh, systems within, within the weather app channel and, um, they they know they know exactly when it's coming, what part of the circuit's going to be falling on, and they would have been very prepared. They were they were super prepared. I don't think anybody really 
um, was was uh, you know totally unprepared. There's a few people who probably left the pits a bit later than than I thought. I mean, certainly the Astons. I'm not too sure why Vettel was 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 so far behind, and consequently he was really sort of angry about not even making it into Q2. So there's some concerns there in terms of operations, maybe about what might be happening there. But um, you know, um, they, they he went out really late. And I don't know whether they were they were hoping for the circuit to to create a dry line and then him nip in there at the end. But it's the usual thing where towards the end of a session, if a dry line starts to appear, everyone tries to to fight to, to pile out and uh, and and cut a lap, you know. But Silverstone's so flat and so vast, and such a mix of corners and speeds that. Um, you'll never put together the perfect lap in a, in a in a you know in a wet session or in a damp session because one circuit's way off the other. So the confidence the driver must be feeling in one corner all of a sudden disappears in another corner. So such a difficult um, situation to be in. But I think yeah, the teams were all well prepared, and um, you can see that by the sort of you know the natural you know the natural top teams being in the top ten. And and the people who weren't so comfortable with their cars, as opposed to the weather being in the in the bottom ten. So um, yeah, I think that everyone in the top ten certainly had their their their, their car dialed in, and including Latifi. I mean, considering mm. he's the one who didn't have the upgrades. In fact, <laughs> you could say he had the downgrades. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, Albon with the upgrades. Um, was was you know left in left uh, in Q three but uh, it's in Q one but uh, great job by Latifi I think he was the he was the sort of you know the outstanding um, driver of the certainly of the top ten so I was quite pleased with that. <laughs> Sorry, no, I was going to say I'm not sure I've ever seen so much support for Latifi as I did this weekend, um, even in Canada. Um, you know, his his face was around a bit, obviously being a local star, but it was this weekend that the um, you know supporters really came out. And I think for those of us who back uh, Daniel Ricciardo quite wholeheartedly, we're looking for somebody else to get behind, and often that seemed to be uh, seemed to be Latifi. Um, just speaking about qualifying, Richard, it was interesting listening to um, Carlos afterwards when they said P1. And he was quite shocked by that. He said, oh, what? I thought we were pretty terrible. We were not that fast. Do you see that a bit between, like, you know, thinking of your experience with various drivers, between what they feel in the car and what then actually gets produced when it comes to the results being quite different? We've heard it with Lewis Hamilton where he thought they were faster and then they turned out to be not very fast, especially in the early part of the season. And um, Vettel at times saying, I thought we were way faster and they just weren't. What's your experience been where just what happens and what they feel just seems to be so different? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the teams feel the same thing as well. The teams sometimes get surprised. And I think it's that, it's that, lower of expect, it's that lowering of expectations. And I think, you know, maybe Williams weren't... I mean, there's, there's some great upgrades on, on one of the cars um, uh, this, this year. Um, but it's... Um, it's, it's, it's all about expectations. And I think, you know, they certainly weren't expecting to get into, into Q3 at all. So um, every time they sort of, you know, start to, to bump up through the order, it's, uh, it, I guess it's a, a spur of confidence. And it's a confidence for the driver and, it, and it's confidence levels to the team as well. So you've got to wonder how much speed in qualifying is by, by your, your own sort of mental consciousness of, of expectations. 
you know, you're like, well, crikey, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to crack on. I'm going to try and push this a little bit further than what I was going to push it before. Who, who knows? Um, mm. But, you know, psychologically, these guys are in a great, um, great position to, to improve mentally as well as, as well as mechanically. And, um, and the teams are as well. The teams start to sort of, you know, trust themselves or trust their decisions and therefore maybe take a risk. I mean, there's some people who started on hard tyres at the back of the grid. And there, there are people, as you'll see in, um, in certain races, where, you know, they'll start on inters or they'll start on slicks um, when it's, a, when it's an, you know, it could be an inter race. So there's these, there's these risks that people start to take because they, they feel confident in the car. And, and yeah, I think it's, it's a lot, lot to do with confidence. Teams and, um, teams and um, uh, drivers, yeah. Yeah, even mechanics and engineers as well. I mean, the great thing about Mercedes is, you know, if you have this speak up attitude and sort of, you know, you, you sort of, you, you've got a feeling that, you know, backed up by data and um, and experience maybe that, you know, you can make a change, then, yes, speak up. You know, just uh, let's get let's get it out there. There's no, there's no stupid questions. So confidence is massive. It's a weekend of birthdays. Um, for, for Seb's birthday, he got to drive... Nigel Mansell's Williams, which was absolutely epic. And it was absolutely epic to see Nigel Mansell at Silverstone uh, in a Ferrari hat with the moustache. That was bloody fantastic to see. I was very, very much a big fan of that. Um, Seb had a good time at least with that. He still finished in the points as well, which is good for him, but uh, not certainly not the, the birthday that Daniel Ricciardo would have wanted. Uh, and it all started in qualifying. He he tried to get ahead of Lando Norris mentally by bonking him in the face with a uh, yeah, hopper. That, yeah. um, he's really pulling all of the tricks out of the bag now, <laughs> trying to just uh, get on top of Lando. And I'm here for that, to be perfectly honest. Um, excellent content out of 10, Daniel. The immediate yep. regret face was my favourite. Um, but it's th- this confidence thing is an interesting one. Um, we're obviously very Daniel Ricciardo biased on the podcast, which Freya has mentioned, and many people have probably heard my rants about pe- other people's opinions of it. But to talk to someone who isn't Australian, so you can have your British bias, mm. Saxby, if mm. you want. Mm. Um, what's, what, from your point of view and your experience, what exactly leads into that lack of confidence and what's going on in that McLaren space, the racing space, to be clear, uh, for Daniel and what can we expect to see for the rest of the year in your view? So, funny enough, I've got a post-it note with purely Danny Rick. Rick there you it, go. Right. So, <laughs> because... You know, with, with Danny, um, and I was listening to Mark Webber on the Channel 4. We have a we have a couple of alternative broadcasts over here in the UK, but um, you know, he was he wasn't he wasn't on the game all weekend. He was in the lower half for every single session. So he was in the lower half of P1, P2, P3, qualifying, and second to last in the race, basically. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the car, the car is, the car is there. I think the car is there because uh, it's under Lando and and the team are right, right up there with. I can't imagine the team, um, um, you know, uh, being any uh, any bias towards Lando over over Danny because you've got to look up to someone like Danny's experience and race winning experience that he's got. But for some reason, and again, I've been listening to the past podcasts. That car is just not getting hooked up with that car. He's just not no no confidence in that in that thing, and and that's shown in his results. And I, I don't know 
what 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 it is. I really don't know what it is. Uh, I, I struggle, and I think you know Mark Webber was saying that he he struggles with trying to understand where where Danny's uh, head's hat maybe um, you know uh, with with that particular car. Um, you know, maybe it's a case of him not being comfortable in the car, or is he not comfortable, or is it doesn't he have the uh, the confidence to um, to make a setup change different to that of Lando to suit him more? I don't know. I, I'm struggling. Mate. I'm I'm at a loss. But I do mm. have a post-it note in here, just purely headlined with Danny Rick with a massive question mark underneath it, <laughs> saying that you know he's, he's in rough. the lower half of P1, P2, P3, Q, and, and race, and I, I um, yeah, struggling. Great, great guy, great driver. One of one of the one of the certainly one of the best um, Australian drivers uh, to to have graced our our screens, and um, yeah, for some reason this this this. Clarence not working for him. Makes it very tough to watch as an Australian, have to be honest. Um, makes it slightly easier when Jack Doohan doing stuff in Formula 2 and, and putting it on the top step with the Australian National Anthem playing yeah. for the very small but very passionate Australian group of people who work around Formula 1. Um, shout out to Michael Italiano who was definitely standing there belting out the anthem for that, so at least he had some joy there. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about Daniel in a little bit, but as you say, from a qualifying point of view, um, Really, the, the two surprises for me were Nick Latifi and Tenth, but uh, George Russell out of position in eighth, yeah. which then ended up yeah. contributing really to what happened with Joe Guan Yu. Um, I'd like to talk about Joe's qualifying, though. This is not the first time that he's outperformed his teammate in Valtteri Bottas, who you've worked with in the past as well. Yeah. He seems to be having a pretty stellar rookie year by all accounts yeah. uh, as a driver because he's flying under the radar so much, so much so that we we hardly even hear we talk about him. Whereas last year we we talked about Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin almost every race because of what was going on for the ridiculousness out at the back. But for Joe's performance, and as someone who wasn't necessarily potentially all that good in Formula 2, we know that Oscar Piastri outperformed him, which is good news, we think, for when Oscar finally gets himself into Nick Latifi's Williams, by all accounts. Uh, but for, for you and, and the sort of rookies you've seen in your career, where does Joe fit in that mark? Yeah, Joe. So, do you know, what? I, I, I sort of I, I noticed that as well. Latifi and Joe, and Joe were were um, seemed to be on the on the ball this weekend, right the way through. You know, understanding the car right into into qualifying. But and I go back to my sort of psychological confidence, my sort of you know, maybe that part of the the brain we don't quite understand, and we don't quite under understand its its uh, spiritual nature. But you know, Joe's parents were there this weekend for the first time I think ever or maybe in a couple of years oh. and you know or he hadn't seen them in a couple of years because of the the pandemic there was something around this which which sort of really spurred him on and um you know he was su- he was such a bright face even after that huge accident he still had a smile on his face he still had this confidence he still had this you know thankfulness around him and um you know maybe maybe um it 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 was that you know raise of emotions and 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 confidence that maybe his parents were 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 there that that he did do that and i think it's it's, it's so important um i can't imagine his parents seeing seeing the accident at all but you know something that, as a parent myself i you know certainly wouldn't want to wish to see but i think having them there may have helped him certainly 
you know, recover or, or want to recover uh, faster to show them that he, you know, he's okay. And um, but also, I think it helped him um, through through the, the qualifying sessions, you know, as well as his team uh, also buoyed up by the fact that he's buoyed up. He's he's feeling probably a a great uh, a great sense of euphoria that his his parents are there to see him. You know, um, who who knows? Who knows? Um, I sort of do after after all these years. I do sen- tend to see these, uh, and it was an Australian driver who taught me this. Um, this this sense of uh, of confidence. There's uh, a guy called Marcus Marshall um, who used to race uh, IndyCar, but he raced F3 over here, and um, it was that it was that level of you know, you, let, let, let's give it a go. I feel the car's good. Let's let's give it a go. And I think he he, he went out on slicks when it was a wet race, and there was. There was no rules in them days that you had to start on wet. And, uh, he, he, you know, he won the race. His first ever race in Formula 3, and, and he won it. And and and, that's, and his parents were there that day, right? His parents were there. They'd flown over from Australia, and it's the first time they'd seen him race in Europe. And it was all these... Anyway, it was banging on a bit about that. But I think um, interesting about Joe this weekend. I, I, I rate him... I rate him... It, it, I can't rate him... From from a from a rookie perspective, um, he he is one of the one of the good rookies. But of course, we've had some really good rookies over the years. Uh, you know, Kobayashi was always considered to be really you know really hungry for it and had a great you know had a great uh, first half of the season when he first came in and he was sort of like wow you know this guy's gonna gonna make waves. So I, you know, I've seen him come. I think they need to do more of one season, more than one season to sort mm. of you know make their mark. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying. Yeah, what you're saying about the confidence factor and I suppose the brain and things like that. And what I see is a difference between the way um, Joe conducts himself in comparison to some other rookies um, is a difference between confidence and ego or any sense of entitlement. And I think when you have confidence and you back yourself and you have that attitude, you actually have much more of an opportunity than you than if you have just have the ego to go with it because that doesn't guarantee results for one. Um, but it's also that self-reflection as well. If you're confident but don't have the ego, you create space for self-reflection, performance and constant improvement. Whereas if you're not willing to do that um, kind of self-reflection after a qualifying, after a race, after a practice session, training, whatever it might be, and it, you're purely driven by by that ego, I think the, the potential for improvement is not there. Um, and like you said, it's that that quiet confidence as opposed to any sort of entitlement that we see in how he goes about himself um, and how he goes about his his weekends that really allows him to kind of fly under the radar and just do what he needs to do and constantly work on his own um, performance ultimately and, and driving. But let's get stuck into the race and um, – what you experienced trackside, if we, if we do just continue talking about Joe, um, you were very close. Talk us through your experience, Richard, as um, as we entered that inter- incident in lap one. Yeah, it was it all obviously it all happens ridiculously quickly. I mean, the energy that's what always surprises me in these accidents. This wasn't an exit of turn one where they're already crossing the line at you know 150, 200 k's. This was standing start energy and that's what's the surprising thing is how quickly they can get up to speed uh, with all these other cars around them and um 
you know the, these reaction times are, are are vital in those situations and you can so i i, I saw the you know obviously saw the uh, pray lap and I had a good countdown to sort of see well yeah and I and I saw that George was out of position and that that reminded me about quali and right what's he got to do to get up there and um and um all of a sudden I uh I just saw this uh this 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 alpha just in the air upside down and um coming towards us literally coming towards us and then obviously hit, hit the um hit the roll hoop and it, and it ground the roll hoop flat and I knew it would because we've never tested the roll hoop in that way at all. The roll hoop is for hard impact, you know, bang on the top, flip back over, so on and so forth, but not grinding because inside that roll hoop is a big titanium piece of metal and um, shrouded in carbon. And that was just ground down. What was left was the halo. And um, you could see the sparks then flying off the halo. And then as soon as he hit the, um, as soon as he hit the gravel, it spun him over and he cleared the uh, the tyre wall, which is regulation height, by the way. Uh, he cleared that um, as because of a, a very strange nature of the way the car went into the gravel, I think, is the reason why he cleared that. Much like a motorbike when it high sides. Um, he cleared that and it was a catch fence in front of our grandstand that, that caught him, um, which, d- again, did the great job. The the uh, but then he fell between the gap of the tire fence and the um, uh, and the tire wall, the catch fence and the tire wall. And again, that gap is regulation to allow marshals to to pass down and also to dissipate energy uh, furthermore into the into the catch fence. So there was nothing wrong with that. I, I think um, it was just a very it was a perfect storm for that for that to happen. But the energy was just immense um and the, and the scraping sound uh because uh, because formula one cars are now naturally quiet you can hear tire squeals i don't know if you you've heard it sometimes when they leave the pits you can hear the tire squeals they're mm. leaving you know? yeah well, i've never heard that before you know since 2014 but um you know <laughs> it, it it's uh it you can hear everything going on around you now so it's not just the the impact it's the it's the hot, all your all your senses are going. Shit, is he okay? Oh my god! Oh my god! And I, and I remember calling us, shouting out to whoever was sat next to me, Johnny Boots, saying, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! He's he's gonna go!" He's, bang. And then once he'd stopped, I'd seen that um, you know to George jump out of his car and sort of shake it off, and and then run over and sort of jump up and down on the tire wall, you know, saying it's safe for people to come over. And um, the marshals did a sterling job. God knows. I don't know if you've seen the photographs of him on, on, on his side. God knows how they got him out of there with the halo. Um, but they uh, they did, and they did a wonderful job. Stretcher board. I I'd saw his hand move up, so I sort of, you know, I, I had that sort of slight moment of relief, and then they put his neck brace around him, and they put him on the, the board um, and then sort of wheeled him out. Um, and, and his, and his hands were on his chest. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he was, he was consciously holding them there. Um, and luckily enough, I was with, uh, John Booth, who was the owner of Virgin Racing, Marussia Racing, Marussia F1 and, and his wife, Mary, and they're, you know, best friends with, with Graham Loudon, who was also co-owner of Virgin Racing, but is also Joe's manager. 
manager. So yeah. John pretty much got straight onto, you know, John pretty much got straight onto Graham. And of course, I had a bit of an inside line as to how he was, and um, yeah, which was which was so great uh, to hear that he was that he was okay. But what I did also notice was um, uh, Alex not getting out of the car, his car, quite quickly. And this was a separate incident, basically. I think this was sort of a separate incident. It was Gasly that that spooked George into into you know hitting hitting Joe. But then in the background, there was a. I, I think it was a separate incident. I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure. But the uh, the impact into the pit wall by um, by Albon was pretty massive too. And I think he was he was days sat in the car. So I'm wondering why you know why is he not getting out of the car? Maybe there's a problem with the the air system, you know, the the, the electrical system. But um, yeah, it took him a while to get out of the car. Um, but it's good to see them both up and up and walking. But my gosh, it's one of the biggest ones I've seen. Yeah, some big incidents. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting that well, I saw the attention was on Joe, rightly so, because of the epicness of that. Crash, as you say, Alex Albon, which, who ended up being flown to hospital properly, whereas Joe stayed at the track for further observations. Yep, was collected by Seb Vettel because Seb didn't see it was Nick Latifi really getting on the brakes to to get out of the way of whatever was going on in front of him, um, which sent Alex spinning around and then got collected by I think both Esteban Ocon and Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, and there was one moment where his hands went back onto the wheel you can see to try and get control again before something else goes wrong. And of course he gets hit again. So um, yeah, bigger impact there. It looked like for, for Albon more than Joe, which is mind boggling to think about, especially was you were standing there. But one of the interesting things for me is, and this is, this is the good Samaritan side of the sport, which uh, doesn't get rewarded according to the FIA, but I'm interested for your thoughts on this. You said, and you saw George hop out of the car to, to make sure that he was okay, which was absolutely the right thing to do in terms of a sportsmanship thing. What then followed was quite interesting to me. Uh, he was at the car and then George was suddenly in the pits again running. And then he was back at the car. I thought I couldn't quite work out what was going on and how the TV director was magically making George be in places where he shouldn't be. But by all accounts, he had said to the trackside marshals, look, don't touch the car, leave it here because I reckon I can get it started again. It just won't start by itself right now, which means I have no comms to the team. Let me go to the team, work it out, come back again. By the time he'd come back, the low loader was there, the car was on and per the rules, he's not racing again because he's had assistance. How do you feel about that? I mean, the rules are the rules, except for when the rules are not the rules, if we want to think about last year. Uh, How do you feel about that? Because of what George was doing was really the right thing. Yeah, he was. um, I think, you know, rules are rules. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of people behind these rulings and there's reasons behind these rulings whether they be safety reasons or, uh, you know, sporting reasons. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, certainly an F1, and when it comes down to safety, I'm, I'm, you know, there's a reason why the car stopped, the reason why the engine was switched off, and unfortunately that was under racing conditions, and you, you, you can't necessarily restart the car again and, uh, and, and off you go. But I... Um, I applaud what he did. I applaud him get out the car and uh, and run over. But you know, like I said, you know, you, uh, if you start doing that, you know, people will require a push or people require, you know, 
get me back to the pits to restart and all that sort of jazz. So I think you've just got to, you've got to put it down to rules. And I think George was actually quite acceptance. He was quite, he was a bit peed off because he'd done a good Samaritan thing and this, that and the other. And, you know, and, and, that, and that's great. Um, but, you know, rule, rules are rules. And, it, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things. And I think he, like I say, I think he was quite accepting of it. Yeah, so if we keep moving through the race, um, obviously we had the restart and we'll talk about how that affected different teams um, with everybody going back to their grid positions as we go through our team-by-team analysis. But if we jump forward to, I think it was about lap 12, we had the super smooth synchronised spinning from Alpha Tori. When you see two... <laughs> yeah, I worked hard for that. <laughs> um, yeah, but, good. You should, uh, should be but, happy with that. Yeah, thank you. Um, when you see, though, two teammates racing in that way and obviously, you know, both of them very diplomatic in their um, post-race interviews saying we don't want to talk about it right now but obviously we do need to talk about it as a team and we also saw moments between um, the two Ferrari drivers as well and we've obviously seen it in plenty of other races, um, Red Bull in the past, um, McLaren. What are your thoughts when you see the two teammates side by side? They're both drivers. They both want that track position. And, you know, especially in moments like that where it, where you are true racing as opposed to having the space for team orders, for example, what is the driver, what, what are they best placed to do? You know, should they be contacting the team to say, what's our, are we racing here um, should they just be racing as they would with any other team? What do you think about that when you get the team-by-team team competition? Yeah, it's interesting because I think I was involved in, you know, in a team which which had one of the, the biggest rivalries yep. for a long mm-hmm. time with, with Lewis and Nico. And if we take it back to 2016, Barcelona, with the only race that they didn't win that year was that race because they took each other out. You know, mm-hmm. <sighs> where do you where do you sit between that? I mean, you you can't have a conversation with the team when you are battling. You know, you are concentrating so hard on trying to find the gap and making a break or making a making a making contact or avoiding making contact. Um, you know, and where where my 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 take on it is, we're all here to race, right? We shouldn't be asking permission whether or not we can race, and I think. Personally, I think most teams should just sort of open up and say, look, you're racing. You are you are absolutely racing. You're racing each other. You're racing, you know, whoever's, whoever, else, whoever else is on the track. I mean, um, uh, Sunda was um, very apologetic. I mean, he, he, he openly admitted, you know, that was that was that was his error. Um, and. <laughs> It should just shows you how close they are. Actually, I, I actually think they're 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 a pretty good pack. I mean, at the start of the year, I thought Gasly was going to be, you know, the next Red Bull driver. But I honestly think that um, I honestly think that Sundo is, uh, is is quite a respectful and 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 careful driver. Um, do I think he's going to world win a world championship? Probably not. But um, yeah, racing teammates. It's always that. It's that. It's that. Uh, it's a great debate, isn't it? And it continues to run on for mm. for for as long as there are team uh, team teammates within Formula One. Um, I, I, I'm I'm a fan of racing. I'm a fan of um, you know racing like uh, Mark Webber did and Seb Vettel did back in the day. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Red Bull allowing their team to do that uh, a lot. 
I don't think we ever really hear any, apart from obviously the multi-21 sketch, um, I don't think we ever hear any <laughs> major sort of team orders at Red Bull, but you certainly hear it at Ferrari and, you know, we have heard it at Mercedes, but, you know, they've got their reasons. They've got their reasons. And usually it's usually it's about maximising the points. Um, but, you know, I'm a big fan of race. And that's my opinion. Race, race, race hard, race together, race fair. Well, let's go through our team-by-team team analysis now. We're going to start at the very back of the pack, which is very unfortunately Alfa Romeo because they had a double DNF, Joe, as we've discussed, but Valtteri Bottas suffering an issue that his race engineer had absolutely no idea about. That was on team radio as he pulled in. Can't tell, don't know what it is, Valtteri, sorry. I literally have no idea. We'll figure it out later. Um, That's never a good sign or something else has gone horribly wrong that no one needs to hear about in the rest of the paddock, I suppose, is the code word. Uh, But it's it's devastating, isn't it, Freya? Because VB seems to be happy uh, at Alfa Romeo. We've said this time and time again. Um, But Joe has been getting the better of him in qualifying and even in some race positions. Yeah, it's not it's not great to see. As you said, we we love seeing VB doing well, and he does seem to really happy at Alfa Romeo. I think it turned out to be a gearbox issue at the end um, that resulted in that retirement for VB. But do you know what? I think at the start of the season, obviously, we were saying you know, it's so great seeing VB doing so well, and that just seems to be reflected in his attitude as well. And um, Joe had a good start to the season, whereas now I think you kind of say, all right, well, Joe's starting to get some race experience under his belt. It's still early days in his career, obviously. Um, but that constant experience and learning is paying off. And as we talked about earlier with Joe, um, with that confidence that he has and they're testing the car well in terms of being able to push it to its limits a bit um, and it's resulting in some in some really good racing. So, you know, the challenge is kind of there for VB now to, <laughs> to keep up with his younger teammate and that's a good thing at the end of the day as long as they maintain that positive team dynamic and they're working together and you would, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, uh, Joe's in a really good position to learn from someone experienced like VB who has raced in so many different conditions and uh, has that experience which you can just be a sponge for if you're open to it and it certainly seems like he is. So obviously disappointing for them as a weekend um, and certainly you would hope that they're able to to solve that gearbox issue so that reliability is not a problem for that in any part of the car and they can come back really strong in Austria. Richard, uh, we we know, well, you know that we love VB. He is an adopted Australian like Russell Crowe. And, of course, you've spent some time with him uh, when we were together in the UK a couple of weeks ago. You were telling us also about just how excited the Mercedes team were to be hanging out with Tiffany. That's more exciting than Valtteri. Valtteri, <laughs> put yourself in the bin. Tiffany Cromwell is here, and I loved that story. Uh, big cycling crew in Mercedes, and I imagine around a lot of the F1 paddock, and someone like Tiffany is a great person to spend some time with. Yeah, she's, uh, she's I, I think I said it in an article, I'm, I'm, I'm quite an aura. Uh, she's, she's quite an amazing athlete, actually. Um, you know, and, and it's great to have um, such a representation in, in the garage because there are some... There are some guys in the garage that are, you know, I mean, I think I think Bono's Bono's other half. I think she's sort of a pro rider, maybe a semi-pro rider. So, um, you know, there's 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 some there's definitely some good connections in there. I think she she races for maybe Cannondale or something like that. But yeah, I mean, there's loads of uh, loads of um, strong uh, strong riders in in Mercedes. They they uh, they've got their own group uh, and they go out quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to to meet someone like that 
uh, someone of, of such of such high stature in the in the world of cycling, it's uh, it's always a great thing. It's always a great thing to have have sports people join join you. You know, I think there's there's quite a lot of you know American football fans when when certain American footballers come in and um, and basketball fans in the states and yeah, but 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 for her, you know, there's certainly a big following uh, in terms of um, in terms of, of cycling right way through the grid. I think. You know, there's a lot going on at Red Bull as well, and yeah, I think uh, she's quite she's quite an ambassador. Yeah, it's great. The content is outstanding, uh, and as we've said, VB looks happier at Alpha. Um, maybe they're trying to get Fred Vasseur to join the or to start the Alpha Romeo cycling team. We'll see how that goes <laughs> for them. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, Alpha Tauri that. Uh, Gasly, unfortunately, having a DNF as well, and Yuki Tsunoda finishing in 14th. It really is an interesting one for this, Richard, because last year we discussed when Alpha Tauri was named that uh, when they moved on from Toro Rosso, they were becoming the sister team to Red Bull. That was what was put out. There was no junior team anymore. And certainly last year they were getting results that would indicate that they were sharing some of the information. But this year, it seems the opposite. In fact, the, the gap is, is widened, um, not so much sharing of info going on, and they really are now battling in the mid of that mid-pack, aren't they? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think, and there may be people out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've actually now decided to do their own car, technically, in terms of aero package. Um, they are fully sort of um, self self efficient um, with a lot of uh, a lot of the the work being taken on by 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 AlphaTauri themselves to allow maybe Red Bull to concentrate on things like their powertrain purchase and 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 development. So um, I think they're they're very much uh, a little bit more independent than they have been previously and. And, you know, has that probably put them back a couple of steps? Well, uh, results show that that might be the case. Um, although there is still really good, strong relationships with Pierre Gasly and, and, and Red Bull, um, I'm sure that there is, there is some, some information and some, you know, legal sharing of, of, of parts and components. Certainly the, the powertrain obviously um, will be. Um, but I think from an aero perspective, I think they've gone their own, their own in their own direction now. They've got they've got their own got their own people. They've got their own chassis designers, their own aero designers. Um, and I'm wondering if that's that's uh, that's having an effect. To, you know, it's going to take some time to get those guys fully up to speed and um, and you know get that car back up to where it should be because it really should be up there with um, with the top four. I think. Yeah, it was certainly showing the promise last year, as I said. So that's an interesting. Bit of news to, to understand they're going their, their own direction now. Someone who needs to sort of do a little bit better and they're trying exceptionally hard Fryer is Williams. I'm going to call it the Duracell Red Bull, which <laughs> is because uh, there's no other branding on the bloody car for Williams and I'm certainly not talking about Lavazza Coffee. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, now that we've seen Aston Martin fully send down this path of that Red Bull looks pretty good to me. I reckon we'll just have a crack at drawing that. And uh, now half of the Williams garage is doing the same thing. Uh, as Richard said before, though, from when it came to qualifying, it didn't matter because Nick Latifi in the uh, downgraded car, uh, Nicholas Gotifi, as uh, everyone in Canada is calling him, uh, was trying his best to to undo all of that. But uh, it's it's interesting, isn't it, to see them make 
such leaps and, and sort of gains or trying to get these gains, but only to one car at a time. And this is looking at cost cap and, and how expensive it is to bring these upgrades and to be 100% certain that this is the path they want to take by comparing it exactly to their old car. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see the different approaches that the teams are taking when it comes to testing and development now obviously so affected by the cost cap and you're not going to see as much of that, you know, let's let's develop five different options and then decide on the day which one put on. You don't have the budget for that. And so, you know, William's obviously showing one of the, the ways of going about it when it comes to saying, well, whoever's highest in the championship points, when it gets to the right race for us to bring our upgrades, you you get those, which is what uh, Latifi did say happened um, in terms of it being just decided on uh, championship standings as to who would get those. But, of course, when it comes to race performance, it's not what they expected with um, Albon, obviously, you know, when it comes to his accident and, as he said, very glad to hear that he is okay. Um, but uh, but Latifi managing to keep a pretty clean race and at the end of the day uh, outperforming both uh, both his teammates and, you know, having an interesting weekend, not what they expected to happen. So it's interesting because it does kind of speak to us both the world of Formula One in a lot of ways where you can say you can have all the best laid plans. You've got a, an approach and a plan as to whoever's in highest, you're getting the upgrades, that person, you know, is going to have the advantage of the weekend and then, you know, accidents like like lap one happened and, you know, your strategy's out the window basically. So it does kind of speak to, I suppose, the just that constant jeopardy that uh, exists in, in the sport. Um, but, yeah, certainly not what they would have expected to have happened this weekend, I would have thought. Richard, does it come back to confidence again? I mean, the reason that Nick was so fast is because the previous race in Canada qualifying, it was wet too and he understood the car's setup and with Albon really changing some well, changing the whole bloody car, it looked like. There's certainly from the uh, the top part, I'm not sure about the floor, but is it is it that simple when it comes to those mixed conditions is we just understand this car better. So setup-wise, it makes more sense for him to be in 10th and Albon to be in 16th. Who knows what could have happened in the race, though? I mean, Alex is a, is a fantastic racer, as, as we've seen, and potentially there was room for him to get ahead. But is it that mind? Set again? Yeah, maybe that Nick could have taken more risks. He has less to lose, you know, on the car. They, you know, sometimes having all the upgrades isn't probably the nicest thing to do because you'll always get it in your ear to sort of say, "Be a bit careful. This is uh, this is our only set. You know, we need to <laughs> yeah. we need to try and understand them." So you've got that in the back of your mind. Whereas probably Nick Latifi went out and said, "You know, I've, I'm loving this crowd today. They're chanting my name. I think they were singing it." I can remember them singing it actually when we were in the stage. Oh, that's great! Um, so I went over and had a look at this, watch, watch all the. Yeah, it was great. So you know, he's got he's gone in there this weekend. He's got nothing to lose. He's survived wet qualifying. He's got into Q three. You know, what's he got to lose? And I think this this weekend is a great um, testament to maybe you know having that level of confidence to sort of say, okay, pressure's not on me this weekend. It's all on 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 Alban to try and make these upgrades work. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go out there and give it some, and and I think he has, um, and and look, but but bear no mistake, I don't think they're really affected by the cost cap as as much as anybody else, but uh, I don't think I, mean, I don't think they're really affected too much by the cost cap, Williams, in, in terms of what they spend. The great thing about Williams is they they've got the people, they've got the uh, the 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 resource to to make two sets now for the next race. Um, I think they've probably got enough data to sort of say, you know, yes or no, maybe on some of those, some of those upgrades. Um, 
and and um, yeah, I think you'll probably see uh, a turnaround. Oh, I'm hoping you'll you'll see a maybe a, a consistent Q2 qualification from here on in. It's interesting, isn't it, looking at Williams and what they're doing now. Jost Capito is a phenomenal leader and manager. Uh, he hasn't had really all that much time to to manage this team to put it in the right direction. And we we've seen. We remember the last time Fernando Alonso was in a McLaren alongside Stoffel Van Dorn. That thing was terrible. Uh, in fact, uh, Steve Lambert's favorite favorite thing to say about McLaren racing is he was on the car, the uh, worst ever performing McLaren. Anyways, it's just a random sidebar. But the interesting thing is for Yost, he seems to be getting those gains sooner than what McLaren did when they went through the restructure and Zach came in and Andreas came in. So is there some sort of stronger light at the end of this season tunnel for Yost and for these guys and for potentially Oscar Piastri to come in and benefit from a driver like Nick Latifi and Alex Albon really putting in the groundwork now? I think they've had lots of turbulence, haven't they, in the last year. They've had, you know, sales and, 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 and management changes and, you know, They've had lots of turbulence over the last maybe three years. Um, are we starting to see a settling down of structure and of finances and of operations? I think that's probably what we need to be asking. And, and they certainly have that in the um, in the drivers. They have consistent drivers. Um, they have some. They have a great driver in, in Alex Albon. Um, and and um, I think we just got to give that time to let that all that all that noise and turbulence settle down, which it which it is doing. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 confident that they're going to be gradually just chipping away at, yeah, and getting into Q2 quite quite consistently. I mean, we got to look at you know Haas and well, Haas were great great this weekend, but um, you know had uh, Albon's upgrades worked or if Albon was same on the same uh, on the same package as Nick, then, you know, they would certainly be battling the, the horses up there for, for a top 10 finish. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good call. It would have been interesting to see Alex Albon versus a stri- well, a sick Red Bull, let's just say, in uh, Max Verstappen and, and what he could have done there. Let's talk about Aston Martin now, though, Richard, because it's been an interesting year for them. They are not doing nearly as good as they would have been expecting, I imagine, uh, especially considering they're ninth in the championship on only 18 points. Seb Vettel managing some pretty decent performances when the car is speaking to him in the right language and Lance Stroll having an interesting strategy of just really just staying out to see if a safety car ever happens and sometimes it does and he gets good points and sometimes it doesn't. But he often finds himself in absolutely no man's land like he did again this Grand Prix. Mm. I think Seb Vettel, probably one of the greatest drivers certainly of our generation, is clearly showing what the car, you know, isn't capable of. Um, and they've just got to work at it. I think they've... Um, they're one of these... I think next year they're going to be in a real strong position, um, certainly with the, the sort of resource they've got now uh, available to them. Um I think what they've got, what what they've got at the moment, they've got the, they've got a, a very advanced car, and maybe they don't necessarily have the the resource to to uh, to extract the best from it. Maybe you know because they're still relatively a small team uh, and consistently and co- constantly growing. 
Uh, and they're an amazing team, actually. The, the, some of the people are there are some of the brightest minds in F1 and have been there for, for many, many years and have certainly been around the paddock. Um, you know, the, the, there has been some, again, going back to this turbulence issue with, with management changes, uh, you know, with, with, what's, with what, what's happened in the last couple of years, sponsorship changes, ownership changes, you know, as well as having a completely new regulation change, um, I just think again, it's time. I think it's time, and they've got this. They, I think they've got an amazing car, but whether or not they 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 can they can match the extraction um, because of their uh, their their sort of stretched resources until they get up to speed with the rest of the teams. You know, are they going to be are they going to be there or thereabouts? Um, I certainly think the car doesn't justify you know Vettel's experience, um, but yeah. Let's. It's, it's it's a tough one again. I think they're in this period of transition at the moment. Yeah, they're not the only team, no. and that and that's the interesting thing, isn't it? About the mid pack in this, the bottom half of the mid pack, uh, Haas absolutely seems like they're going in the different direction. I mean, it's sort of been a roller coaster for them yeah. this season, Freya so far. They've been up and they've been very down. They've been very back towards the very back of the grid. Mix crashed a couple of times. It's been. An interesting ride for them, but a double points finish is fantastic for them this weekend. Mick Schumacher in eighth and Kevin Magnussen in tenth. Mick really putting it to, to Max Verstappen. In fact, there is an interview from a couple of years ago, well, it would have been many, many years ago because Michael Schumacher is wearing Ferrari red where he's talking with Jos Verstappen saying, wouldn't it be good, wouldn't it be interesting if our kids were racing each other? <laughs> and there it did happen. So in the fields for that one, but for... For Haas, it's good. Gunther will be very, very pleased with that result. He's going to get to upgrade his Aldi boat catalogue picture again. Yeah, go back to the last upgrade again for that for that catalogue, uh, I think. But, uh, yeah, what a what a turnaround for them from, you know, Canada was a DNF and 17th to both being in the points and Mick, of course, with his first um, points, which was just such a relief. You know, there, honestly, as much as it was a, a great race and lots of interesting things happened, there was also a lot of just relief involved between, uh, you know, signs made and win and uh, Mick getting his points, just glad to see those things finally eventuate. And that battle between Mick and Verstappen, I think, was kind of interesting because it kind of, it does show, I think, in a way, even with damage to the Red Bull, the performance difference between those cars. Um, but it was great for Mick to have that that opportunity to to properly race. Um, K Mag had an interesting race as well, though. I think he was advised to pit, but kind of decided to to stay out, and he owned that decision as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, happy with both to finish in the points. But um, I think I'm not sure they still didn't seem as as competitive as others at, at points of the weekend. So I think the outcome overall is probably the best they they could have done, and, and would be happy with it. Yeah, Rich, they're running eighth in the championship so far behind, seven points behind Alpha Tauri. I think we were probably expecting a little bit more from Haas, more consistency at least from Haas, weren't we? Especially after the first couple of races, Kevin Magnussen comes back from IndyCar, from Chip Ganassi Racing and jumps into this thing and, and, and sends it around, uh, the, around the testing track, around Bahrain. It all looked very good and then had some issues. So... Is this another team that's in transition? Because if that's the case, it seems, and then it, so the entire mid pack probably is in transition. I think Haas are. Uh, I think Haas have got a nice little settler going on now. I think they they did have a little bit of upset at the start of the season, obviously with with the whole Russia thing. But um, 
I think they're in a good place to really sort of, you know, hone their um, their their Ferrari parents um, and uh, gradually get up get up there. Um, I think they're, they're 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 at the other side of that transition now, and I think they're um, they'll they'll be they'll be back up to where they started the season. I think towards the end of the season, I think I think we can certainly see them having a good battle with um, Alpha Tauri and, and Alpha Romeo. Um, and I'm and I'm looking forward to that towards the end of the season. I think that would be great. Um, I think uh, they're doing a good job. They're doing a really good job, Haas. And I think Mick, for all his crashes and expense, um, is learning a lot from from Kevin Magnussen. And I think they're both mm. bouncing off each other. They're both they're both very close, and they they were running pretty much together um, for the for the entire race. Uh, at Silverstone, so yeah, I think I think um, they're on the up. Yeah, uh, it's a good place to be. It was also interesting. Seb Vettel said that uh, he was shouting in his carbs, watching Mick and Verstappen battle, willing <laughs> Mick to pass Max, which I think is fantastic. Daddy Seb. Again, absolutely the content that we're here for. We need to talk about McLaren. Uh, as you said, Richard, I mean, Landon Norris was just on it all weekend. Um, absolutely no problems, it seemed, for him, for his McLaren. They're running fourth in the championship at the moment. There's a significant difference to third, which is Mercedes on 204 points, McLaren 73. Uh, and a lot of those reasons, unfortunately, <laughs> for me and for everyone else who listens and love this podcast, it's uh, Danny Ricciardo not getting it together as we've spoken about before, but let's talk a little bit about Lando Norris because he was really up there and holding on to some of those fights towards the front for, for a pretty significant amount of time and doing things with that McLaren that really he didn't really have the pace that we thought he should be able to. I thought he looked great. I thought he looked great all weekend. I thought he was, you know, consistently, consistently, you know, certainly in the top six, um, there or thereabouts, holding on to the coattails of the top, the top three, you know, the top three teams. Um, I think that's his natural position. His natural position is seventh. So to get anything above seventh is uh, is 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 basically like a win, I think, for for, for McLaren at the moment. Mm. You know, you got you've got your top six. You got your your Ferraris, uh, your Red Bulls, and your Mercedes. And if you can break that top six. Then I think you're you're onto a bit of a winner, and 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 that's what Lando's continually doing. Yeah, Freya, it's it's difficult to keep seeing the posts of it was tricky and this didn't work and that didn't work and there's an issue with this and all that sort of other stuff for DR. For qualifying, it was just purely wrong timing. He got out too late and the track didn't improve; it got worse. So he was never ever going to get further than he did. Uh, but we do have a couple of races coming up that he does like. He has performed pretty well in Austria in the past. It's where we're heading to. And then, of course, we've got the summer break, which did him wonders last year. Uh, he came back from the summer break and was was able to sort of get it together. So potentially they're sort of a faster point to get to that point in the year, give himself a bit of a mental break, go back to the ranch in Texas, really download, I don't know, ride some dirt bikes with some other Red Bull people and, and reset. Or do we think this is something that's going to be a little harder to overcome compared to last year? I think what's interesting with his kind of comments so far to this point in the season is that they he does seem to be in quite a different mindset in comparison to the same point last season. So same point last season, we were starting to see a really down Daniel Ricciardo. You know, he wasn't wanting to do the media engagements after the race, um, very much kind of wanting wanting to get out there, 
um, out of there as, as quickly as he could. And we're not seeing that at this point in this this season. Um, he does seem to be still a bit more, uh, I suppose, upbeat and that and that type of thing. And so I'm not sure we're necessarily experiencing the same issues um, or situation necessarily. And whilst I still hope that that time away has the same benefits as it did last year for for him, I'm not sure that it's the same uh, challenge that needs to be solved in comparison to last year. It is getting obviously really hard to watch as as a Ricardo fan. And I think what's challenging as well is after the race, you're expecting a, a statement along the lines of, oh, you know, we had to manage fuel or I was told not to push because we were managing this part of the car or we had a gearbox issue or something. You're kind of waiting for this reason because I think I looked at, we looked at the timings at one point and you're just going, he's 20 seconds behind, you know, the next the next car. I can't remember who it was at the time, but there's got to be something wrong in order to have that type of a performance gap because Daniel Ricciardo did not forget how to drive overnight and he won a race as recently as last year. So... I, to me, I just those those variables together doesn't equal Daniel's a terrible driver. There's more to it than that. Um, he said after this race, he was very confused by the car. He kind of compared it to to Barcelona and what he experienced there, where he said, "Look, it's hard to put your finger on it, but something doesn't feel right, and we just don't know quite what that is, and whether that's his confidence in the car. But as long as as long as he's saying that something doesn't feel right, he's not going to push it as uh, to right on the limit." in the way that you'll see somebody who does have the confidence in their car uh, doing. So I don't think it's a simple solution, um, but there's a lot of a lot of problem solving that kind of needs to be needs to be going on there to, to connect the dots with his performance. You know, he's a bit of a bit of a victim of this this regulation change, you know? Um, mm. this is a, you know, it's a huge regulation change. And like we said last year he he won a race, but I mean, he was technically he was two seconds off Lando in the last ten laps. Mm. Two mm. seconds off a lap. So you know, maybe, maybe, maybe these regulations aren't aren't helping him in some way, shape, or form um, to what to what to what he was used to. I, I, I don't know. Does he? He may feel that the car's too heavy for him, or maybe it's too. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we, we we can say that you know the, the the team have done everything they possibly can to 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 get that car to be the best of the rest, and and that was their target, and the you know they're certainly breaking into that, um, you know, uh, competing with the likes. Well, I think they're in their own little sort of area, aren't they? They're, they're between Mercedes and uh, and the rest of the pack. They've got their own little sort of niche, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's very hard, very, very hard to watch. What I was going to say is that uh, what he did do is leave Alpine, which probably wasn't the right call, but it, what, what it did mean is that this man came back, Fernando Alonso, who's just – you said Freya earlier on we need someone to, to get behind. Latifi couldn't care less. This guy, though, <laughs> Fernando Alonso, look at him. I, the, the youngster, yeah. the up-and-comer that he's, he's here for. In fifth, just absolutely holding on to it. That uh, little scrap towards the end between Lewis Hamilton, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, there's Fernando Alonso just waiting, <laughs> waiting for some of the shark in the slightly deeper water, waiting for you to make that mistake by taking a step too far and he would have absolutely taken it. He is driving the absolute wheels off this Alpine Freo. It's unfortunate Fernando, uh, sorry, Esmen Ocon uh, ended up rolling to a complete stop 
uh, on the old straight, which uh, caused the safety car, which was why every, everyone backed up, which was unfortunate for Charles Leclerc, which we'll talk about. But, yeah, Nando just has so much pace and the opposite of Daniel has so much confidence in this Alpine. Oh, absolutely. It's incredible to watch. And, I, yeah, like you said, absolutely get around Fernando Alonso. And I, I know I mentioned this in my terrible um, voice notes that I sent through at Canada. Thank you for making me sound drunk on the podcast, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Those, um, had absolutely no help from you. <laughs> but um, my goodness, so, um, yeah, Richard, I was basically um, on that, on that, that straight um, watching them all come through near the finish line. And my goodness, watching the crowd just go wild, Fernando, like chanting his name, um, absolutely loving him as a competitor. I just, I was a little bit taken aback, to be honest. It's like, you, you obviously you have your own opinions and, and we, we love Nando, but then to be surrounded by people chanting his name, I was like, okay, I'm not alone here. This, this feels good. But uh, he was fantastic this weekend and he, was, he seemed pretty happy with fifth um, and ha- had a good race. He had a twinkle in his eye, though. So even in his uh, his interviews afterwards, um, he was ready and waiting in case. And yeah, he, he really did. Uh, just ready and waiting for something to happen ahead for him to in order to to take that opportunity if it presented itself. He loves getting in the mix um, of of a good tangle, and I'm absolutely here for it. I think something to be said this weekend for Alpine was well done for getting Ocon's car um, back. To the and ready for the restart um, as well. That was exceptionally impressive um, to get him back and and ready for that that second go. And he did. He had a good start um, when they when they had a second go at it, um, and he looked like he could potentially do all right. But then I think he had a fuel pump issue, and between that and the battery issue and qualifying, it would probably be pretty frustrating for him. I think this weekend because. Again, there's that opportunity there. Um, he probably felt like it was possible this weekend to, to score some good points and he just didn't have a great run of luck when it comes to a few issues with his car. But uh, I think overall Alpine actually on the whole did, did pretty well. Richard, it's interesting because he took time off and then came back to Formula 1 and now is having a good time. So there's potential there maybe for Daniel Ricciardo to take some time off and maybe come back. This is an idea I'm stealing from a fellow Australian podcast, Boxer Neutral. Shout out to you, Rob. Thanks for that. I'm just going to absolutely steal it and use it as my own. But go for a sabbatical for a year, take some, take a year off and then come back where there's some more free seats. Whether he does that or not, it's very risky. For Fernando Alonso, though, Richard, it seems to have worked because he absolutely has his mojo back. And Kimi, Kimi as well, mm, Kimi as well. Indeed. I mean, uh, I mean, Fernando. I mean, but the thing is, again, going back to the psychological aspect of this, what what's he got left to prove apart from having an absolutely mm. great time? And I think that's what he's doing. He's absolutely <laughs> having the best time of his life right now. He's, um, like you say, he's just just beaming from ear to ear. You could see him in the background in some of the press conferences. Uh, waiting to be interviewed, just just you know, not not a bead of sweat <laughs> yeah. on him. Height of physical fitness, smiling away, you know, really happy. Had a great battle, you know. They brought some great upgrades to um, mm. to to the track. I mean, basically, they brought upgrades that they can just bolt straight on and are going to leave on. You know, they they know they work. They're very confident in what what uh, what they brought, um, which is like a, a Ferrari style side pod. Um, they they know they they've opened up the 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 the, the rear wing, and uh, gives them a lot more confidence. And um, I think both Ocon. I mean, just before his incident, you know, he was on fire too. He was great. 
you know, not literally, mm. but he was he was great. Ocon was uh, Ocon was there and um, uh, and battling away, and Fernando was there as well. Um, yeah, uh, and again, a big shout out to to Rob Cherry, who's the chief mechanic at um, at Alpine, a uh, guy who I very much respect. I could see him there with his, you know, basically sleeves rolled up, and he was getting involved in that in that suspension change um, during the during the um, during the red flag. A great great job, um, and just shows you what those guys can do when the chips are down. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, confidence having that team around you of a, of a team of people like Rob and all those other people that that give you that lift, and of course, nothing else to prove, just just cracking on and just just enjoying life and enjoying mm. racing. It's. Uh, Shows you, you know, um, you don't you don't need the top cars to to really enjoy a, a championship like he's enjoying. It's really really great to see, and we are loving the fact that he is putting in these performances so close to the front. It is great to see Mercedes. Speaking about being closer towards the front, apart from George Russell, who we've already discussed, Lewis Hamilton in third, uh, absolutely the overtake or double overtake of the entire race weekend, as far as I'm concerned. That was there were two errors by two other drivers, and he did the uh, Fernando Alonso, as previously discussed, and was there to snap them up. So awesome to see, but then the the big awesomeness of Ferrari and Red Bull's power and just advantages over the Mercedes were very clear in the following corners. But uh, it's been a while since he's been on this this podium. Uh, It's been a, a rough couple of weeks with stupid comments by people who, you know, whatever, previously involved with Formula One. So for, for that to then come through and for him to get on the podium at the home Grand Prix, absolutely bloody fantastic. To the point where I was willing him onto the podium, which I I've, I don't think I've ever done that. I've been willing him off the podium so other people can get <laughs> yeah. on there. Uh, that's how excited I was for him and for Mercedes to be making these steps, Richard. Yeah, he's, uh, he's you know, he's, 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 he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant, and those two overtakes that you mentioned there around the outside, on on two occasions he found grip out there. Um, the only thing I would sort of say let Mercedes down this weekend was the fact they weren't watching Perez. I, I honestly mm. don't think they were watching the silent assassin there creeping up behind them and just sort of you know <laughs> stealing everything at the last minute. Um, they were too concentrated on Ferrari, um, and and that's mm. fair enough because that's who they had to try and beat. Bal Perez, he was there, and I think uh, I think they were all surprised at that, including Lewis. But uh, Lewis was, uh, yeah, showed his genius, showed his calm, his professionalism again, despite all the all the turbulence he's had in the last uh, in the last two weeks leading up to the British Grand Prix, where the press try and dig up, you know, everything and uh, and some of it not, you know, some of it not very nice at all. Um, it just shows his professionalism and the fact that he can still jump in that car and 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 be the absolute best he can be, and he is the best. He, he, he is the he is the absolute best. Um, um, I I absolutely think him and that team work so well together um, that they once they get on top of their um, their, their their that gap between them and Red Bull, I think Red Bull will be uh, will be and probably think about should be getting worried for the second half of the season. Um, but, yeah, he's on He's on form. He was absolutely on form. The best Hamilton-Perez scenario was, wasn't actually them. It was their dads yeah. uh, for the podium celebration yes. uh, with Tom Cruise looking on like a loving father watching 
uh, Daddy Perez give Daddy Hamilton a big kiss on the cheek. Uh, it's fantastic photos. Please go and check them out if you haven't seen them already. Uh, phenomenal. But just the passion, this is a great thing, is seeing these drivers' dads uh, embrace. I love it because Anthony ha- Hamilton, outstanding uh, influence for Lewis, it's, it must be said, and certainly with uh, what happened and transpired in Abu Dhabi last year, one of the things that sticks with in my mind is is him going up to Yossi Stappen and Max and shaking their hands and, and willing Lewis to, to do the good thing and the, the right thing by going out to shake Max's hand too. It, it has to be said that he is a, such a great influence and I've said this before, Formula One drivers are leaders, uh, but when you have influence like that in your life, it's bloody outstanding. Uh, and to see him so happy as well, it's just, it makes it all worthwhile. And it reminds you that they're just people, they're just human beings. And that, yeah, they travel in rocket ships, as you said, Richard, but it is good to see. But let's talk about Red Bull because Max Verstappen, as I said, had this, this issue with his car and the silent assassin, which I love that. I'm going to use that from now on. Sergio Perez, second position, unbelievable for him. He's currently second in the World Drivers' Championship at the moment. So there is still absolutely a chance that he could win this year if Red Bull let uh, that happen with Max. But uh, it's interesting, Richard, just the the performance loss of Max's car. It almost just seemed immediate. The floor clearly just that powerful. Yeah. Well, he had had a uh, end plate of um, of an Alfa Romeo. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, an Alfa Romeo stuck stuck in 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 the floor, a whole end plate. Um, that basically, That'll yeah, just just um, <laughs> completely ruined his 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 chances. But I mean, still to finish where he finished seventh, um, mm. again second and a half down on 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 the leaders, and still still being able to make a race of it. Um, yeah, I mean, he was he was happy, wasn't he? At the end of the day, he knew that he had mm. the pace in the car. Uh, he was happy for Sergio because again, it showed the pace of the car. Um, um, that that you know that is the benchmark, uh, and I still think there is a, a a massive gap now, a bigger gap between Red Bull and Ferrari, despite the Ferrari winning the race. Um, I actually do think that Max would have romped home with it, to be honest with you, um, this this weekend, mm-hmm. just in just in um, in speed and uh, the ability of that car. So, yeah, Sergio Perez though. Yeah, I wasn't even watching him. I was like, "Where the hell did he come from?" No, you know, all of a sudden, bang, he was there. Right, I'm, I'm just gonna just use this car now and just do whatever I need to do to get to get up there. He was, uh, he was exceptional, and I think he actually won driver of the day. For him, it was for me, it was him and Fernando. Yeah, Freya, it's it's great to see where these second drivers inverted commas second drivers in the past have never really gained the intention they deserve but as Richard said Sergio absolutely deserves it and he's incredibly quick and he's showing it again he's, he's maybe found slight part of his mojo that he found in Monaco maybe he's got that back again and certainly I would say with a performance this weekend against everyone including Ferrari let's talk about Ferrari because thank goodness about bloody time Carlos Sainz a podium, well, a pole position, I should say, and B finally gets a win. Ferrari were going full Ferrari, though, Freya, with some of their suggestions on things that he should do to help Charles Leclerc. I have so much to say about Ferrari this weekend. I'll probably only say about a third of it because we will be here <laughs> all day or all night in your uh, in in your situation. <laughs> but my goodness, that call! I just you've seen me watch races, just going absolutely wild going absolutely not 
And I was so glad that he was assertive in that moment. But do you know what is actually really interesting as well about signs when so basically um, they, they came back out and they were asking him to keep the full 10 cars between uh, between him and um, Charles in order to give him a better opportunity to take the win. But what was really interesting, I thought, was that was how he responded in that moment. So, yes, he was being assertive. He was saying, I don't want to do this. But you still hear a maturity in his voice of saying, please, no, <laughs> please, no, we're not doing this, as opposed to getting some of those what I'm going to call more childish kind of responses, which we have also heard on the radio um, in response to uh, calls coming from the from the pit wall, which was just very interesting. Um, he Interestingly as well, though, I think you're right, Richard, Max probably would have, have completely dominated this race had he not had the damage that he did. Sainz still had quite a lot of understeer, which would have affected tyre wear, and funnily enough, he didn't actually look like it was one of his fastest races. But really, I think the blessing for Sainz was in the restart because he kind of got a second chance. Um, so much more assertive going into turn one in comparison to the original start for the race. Um, he did have that mistake. I think it was at Beckett's maybe. It was kind of hard to see what happened, um, which then allowed uh, for – who was it then still to come through? must have been um, – was it Verstappen still? Yeah, he was still in the race at that point um, to come through. So I, at, mm. there, at that point mm. I thought Max had it. I really did. Um, and it just shows how those little moments, um, those small errors um, can have such a big impact on the race. Um, Leclerc obviously disappointed um, with the outcome in terms of the decisions that were made. And in terms of not pitting Leclerc, I'm interested in your your opinion on this, uh, Richard, but I think everyone's initial instinct was, well, that was a terrible decision. Um, they should have pitted uh, Charles. But they made the point afterwards that, you know, that might then actually have influenced everybody else's pitting Stacky. decisions. And, yeah, and and Mercedes would have probably left Hamilton out and then, you know, potentially lose the win for either of the Ferraris and actually would have seen Hamilton potentially on the top place of the podium. But what were your thoughts when you saw that that last safety car and they were just, everyone's trying to decide on what their strategy is? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can. My, my my thoughts are always with the the team and the strategists. That basically everybody looks at them. You know, the pressure that these team members on the pit wall and back at the factory to come up with a scenario that will work the best. It's not an easy decision, and it's not a snap decision. Um, you know, we've seen from Mercedes they make they make the biggest mistakes when they're put under certain levels of pressure like that last minute pressure, uh, pressurized, uh, you know, safety cars and 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 uh, incidents that that cause these sorts of uh, these sorts of decisions. So my, I'm always thinking about those those people that absolutely get a sweat on when when things like this happen and they are really there to perform and they do so at the highest level. So, you know, the, again, these are just people with, with, uh, with data in front of them that, that, that help them make a decision, but ultimately it's them who do that, who, who make that call. And the teams have got to stand by that call and the drivers have got to stand by that call. If it's the wrong decision, then they'll learn from it and they won't do it again, most likely. Uh, if it's the right decision, you know, let's let again learn from it and 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 keep doing that thing right the next time. So, you know, I I'm in no position not being sat on the pit wall to to understand exactly what went on with with those cars. But what I do know, and having been in a stack position, is that they 
they would have ultimately made a decision that they, at the time, they thought was absolutely right for the championship, um, whether that be driver or or team. And um, I don't think individual names came into that equation at the time. Um, I think they just just cracked on and, and, and did what they needed to do. And um, yeah, I think they, did they make the right decision? Pro- probably not. Who, but I mean, certainly for Carlos, it's it's worked out amazingly well. May have caused a little bit of a rift between the two and Charles wasn't particularly happy. But again, you know, without all the people around him and he sat in the car on his own, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to judge from inside a car. You've got, you've got to trust your team um, because nine out of ten times they will get it right. And it's hard as well. Like we, we get those drivers' thoughts as soon as they come up off the track as well. They they literally come out and they're basically still taking their helmets off and they're in front of a camera. And, of course, your emotions are still running exceptionally high in those at, the, at that time. You know, they haven't had time to go and speak to the team, understand what went went on and then try and rationalise that and understand what the data was that was in front of them that, that then influenced that decision. So we're getting them right at that yeah. very raw moment, um, which is very, very hard raw, to then yeah. obviously judge. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think uh, we can finish this with a thought of Mattia Bonotto giving Charles Leclerc a good telling off, a good pointing of a massive finger of saying, whatever you're going to say to the press, don't. <laughs> Put it away. We'll talk about it later. Richard Saxby, thank you so much for joining us to debrief the British Grand Prix. Uh, fantastic to, to have you on the program again so soon. And hopefully we can have you again uh, at the end of this year. Great. Thanks again. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's see how the, the second half of the season pans out. Still a lot of races to go. Thanks very much, guys. Well, it's Campy's favourite part of the podcast time. Let's get into our fantasy team name competition. Fantasy. 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 And Freya, I have selected some of my faves from this week. Prepare for some lulls. Uh, there is some here that I'm not going to read out. <laughs> They're clever, but absolutely not uh, not for consumable content for anyone. Well, for a G-rated audience, I suppose. So for, thank you for changing them to these people. And if you're interested, go to our Fantasy League page. You can find the link in the description below to click through if you're not already there. Uh, we'll go to you, Steen, in first. Hamilton, Hamilton Strait. To the bin. That's very good by you, Sir Hamilton. Sir Lewis Hamilton straight to the bin. Campy's matching grey outfit, Byron H. Yep, you saw that. <laughs> I had to see that in person for two whole episodes and he was sitting right next to me, so that was very good. Uh, well-heeled Englishman doth us indeed boo. Uh, Gemma C, very good point. Uh, there are absolutely boos going on for Max Verstappen, not ours. Are they saying boo or boo earns, Crofty? Oh, they're saying boo earns. Um, oh, Samuel R, again, not saying that. Let's go and look at it. his first time signs his hair has looked bad. Karim K, I agree. Uh, he it was so excited that he couldn't put all of his energy into his hair looking phenomenal. It was just he had won the race and that's just is what it is. 
Uh, four days of pure, unadulterated, un- 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 I try saying that at 12.39am, uh, UK bias, Kelly W. Yes, almost slightly like this podcast. Thanks to Saxby again for coming on. <laughs> Ferrari master plan, IOT, yes, very good. Campy, carnival, out of the bin, you go, Daniel B. Yeah, that was a good episode. If you haven't listened to our team radio podcast, you can find that in our previous catalogue. <laughs> LBS, say it with me, Q3, go Tifi. Yes, uh, must be very good uh, at work for you for this week for him. Um, he's okay. He was not okay, Daniel T. Yeah, Lando Norris getting booped in the face by Daniel Ricciardo Freya. Absolutely my favourite part Best of the Best moment all season. Um, oh, seriously. And just like the immediate regret on his face of like, oh, I'm so sorry, please don't <laughs> tell mum. It's exactly what happened. Uh, and uh, all right, well, how about you read out your own and you've just added it to the bottom of the note and read out your own fantasy team name of which you cannot win this competition. Super smooth, synchronised spinning. How's that? <laughs> there you go. I'm surprised Coming I got it again the second direct, time around. Direct from... <laughs> yeah. Coming to you direct from the US, according to F1 Fantasy. They don't acknowledge where you are. It's like, you must be in the US. Because it doesn't flag exist. This country's not real. Uh, that's it. <laughs> You don't exist. It's absolutely right. But what does exist is this podcast. Uh, massive thank you to you for listening, subscribing, watching, whatever you're doing with this episode. We really appreciate it. Uh, massive thank you again to Richard Saxby for joining us. It's so, so great that uh, we're getting to chat to more people who have a better understanding of the world inside Formula One. But it is time to say goodbye. If you'd like to support the show, please do so by grabbing a T-shirt. You can find that in the link in the description below. We've got a, a new design up at the moment that won't last there forever uh, but Freya we will be chatting hopefully uh, in a couple of what, seven days time now or even less because the Austrian Grand Prix is here the Red Bull will probably dominate again but it's all to come a massive thank you to you as well Freya for, for joining us uh, and it is time though to say goodbye we'll see you next time for our Austrian Grand Prix review Um, Mercedes a lot higher up there. I've got I'm, I'm fully, mate. I've got fully. I've got every team oh, on. I would, like, you're going to keep camping I would like a visual representation of you, like throwing each team away once you're done with them, moving on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Best. Outstanding content.